And we're back with another episode of the Iron Sights podcast, this time with Coach Josh Storms. He's the head strength and conditioning coach for the Florida State University Seminoles, specifically on their football team. He's the guy. Now, not only do they have a rich history of winning out at Florida State, they all have also have a very rich history of coaching. And uh, he's uh, been out there for, for some time. We talk about his career. We talk about all things strength and conditioning, as you might imagine. But we also talk about his role as a leader, and shaping young men, being a dad, and the importance of uh, setting examples. One of the things I've committed to myself and want to commit to you as the audience is that I will be having more guests on the show that represent the higher quality folks in and around the world of human performance. Josh more than fits that bill, and I think you'll enjoy this episode. Want to remind you, all of these Ironside podcast episodes are sponsored by Red Dot Fitness training products and programs. You can go find out more about those at rdftrainonline.com. I want you to pay specific attention to our online membership, which gives you access to six training programs 24-7. So go check that out at rdftrainonline.com. Check out the online membership option and download a free trial so that you can get a taste of what it is we're providing. Again, it's rdftrainonline.com. You know, the older kids taught me a lesson early in life, and that was snitches get stitches. We kids wanted things we said and did in the absence of outside eavesdropping eyes and ears to remain private and secure within our little neighborhood tribe. After all, this information was private, and we were sworn to keep it secure so it didn't get exploited in the wrong hands. Nowadays, my private information has expanded beyond that little group of bike-riding marauders and now sits available on all my electronic devices. And that makes me feel pretty uneasy, especially after having my phone and personal accounts hacked and taken advantage of. The reality for you and me is our laptops are never really off. Our phones hold our entire lives, including family and work, and everything from credit cards to passports contain RFID. All of this effectively makes those little items little snitches. And this makes us all vulnerable to having our digital lives stolen. It's time to put a stop to that. And this is where Silent comes in. That's S-L-N-T. Silent offers a range of sleek RFID-blocking wallets, EDC Faraday bags, travel gear, laptop sleeves, and key fob cases with the added protection of their patented Silent Pocket Faraday cage technology. This elite signal-blocking technology is the easiest way to instantly enhance your peace of mind around how your mobile devices are screwing your digital life up. My personal favorites are the Silent Faraday phone and laptop sleeve. They give me peace of mind by allowing me to completely disconnect from anything incoming and or outgoing, including things that that can negatively impact my financial, physical, psychological, and emotional health. So if you're looking for a solution to reclaiming your personal privacy, security, and health, go check out silent.com. That's S-L-N-T.com. You can follow them at GoSilent on Instagram and Twitter, and then use the code IRONSITES at checkout for an exclusive discount. If you listen to the show, you know I'm very particular about what I put into my body. And as I get older, I'm continually challenged to find the right formula for optimizing my vitality. It's work, and I'm happy to do it most of the time. But the old 80-20 principle doesn't work for me anymore. It's more like 95-5, which doesn't leave a lot of room for error or compromise with that kind of ratio. It's something all men need to face as we push that over 30 threshold. One major component is the fact that every year after puberty, HGH, human growth hormone, the master hormone responsible for workout recovery, performance, metabolism, and even libido, it starts to decline. That's where BioPro Plus comes in and why I decided to implement it into my daily routine. BioPro Plus is a first-of-its-kind, non-synthetic alternative to prescription HGH growth hormone treatments. It's been trusted by physicians for more than a decade, and the best part for me is I get all the benefits of HGH without any of the needles, side effects, or need for a prescription. 
The BioPro Plus team sends me a 30-day supply, which includes a morning and nighttime liquid formula. I simply hold it under my tongue for about 90 seconds before swallowing it. That vitality I talked about a minute ago, well, here's how that's working out for me. I sleep better. I recover faster. I have a much higher sex drive, and my overall sense of well-being has markedly improved. And this all happened within days, not weeks or months after starting BioPro Plus. Another downstream benefit beyond what I've already mentioned, my body fat continues to drop, and I haven't changed anything in my lifestyle, workouts, or nutrition program since onboarding this stuff. I'm seriously, legitimately shocked at how great I feel in such a short amount of time. So if you want to fix the way you perform, look, and feel in the gym, on the mat, in the bedroom, or just during the game of life, go to bioproteintech.com or follow them at bioproteintech. When you get there, use code IRONSIGHTS for $30 off your order. Welcome to Iron Sights After Dark. During my 25 plus years in the fitness industry, I've always been passionate about expanding my physical, mental, and hard skills to be prepared for whatever life might throw at me. From fitness to firearms and beyond, taking a holistic approach to being prepared has led me on a journey to seek and share both knowledge and skills from expert resources in the civilian, LEO, military, and first responder communities. The mission of this podcast is to help others expand their capabilities and knowledge of preparedness while building strength in the community that shares similar goals and values. So ultimately, we contribute together and grow together. Welcome back to the Iron Size Podcast. I have the Josh Storms in the house. He is the uh, head strength and conditioning coach out at Florida State University. Josh, welcome to the show, my dude. Appreciate you having me on. Glad to be here. I, first question, is Storms really your last name? It is really my last name. <laughs> that is an awesome last name to be plastered across the back of a jersey, especially a dude of your stature with the direction you're coming at stuff from. I had, I had to ask, man. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it can definitely, definitely be way worse. That's for sure. That is true. I've seen a lot of things where it's questionable, like for real. Uh, thanks for taking time out, man. And, uh, and what is, I know for strengthening and conditioning coaches, particularly for the guys working in football right now, it's a wild time. Um, and when I say that, like people just, they couldn't possibly understand unless they've lived in that environment, how actually wild that is. And I want to talk about your job and kind of what you do and what's happening right now. Um, and then talk about the business of strength and conditioning, and then also get into some of the nuance of that coaching and kind of how you're doing it, what you're doing to advance athletes and help people, and uh, and keep it all together. But let's start with uh, let's start with a little background on you, man. Why don't you give us the uh, give us the four one one on who Josh is and, and what you're about, dude? Okay. Um, well, I was uh, born in Minnesota, grew up in South Dakota, uh, played tight end at the University of South Dakota there in the late nineties. Pretty short, unremarkable, injury-plagued college football career, um, which that tends to be the case with several strength coaches. I must have been on mm-hmm. that path before I even knew it. Um, and you know, through college, I spent more time training to play the game and preparing to play the game than I ever spent actually getting to play the game. And when I got, when I was, when I was done playing, you know, I knew I still want to be, you know, I, I love the game, love being around it, but I also knew I did not want to be a coach on the field. That just that never appealed to me at any point. And uh, I realized this is the path that I want to take. And even, even, you know, in whatever, 1998, 1999, this is still a very, very young profession. Oh, um, very. And so I, uh, 
got some volunteer experience uh, one summer at a private facility in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and got extremely lucky there. The director of that program was a guy named Steve Bliss. And uh, Steve came from like Boyd Epley's original crew at Nebraska. He was the first ever head strength coach at Miami, first ever head strength coach at Ohio State. And I caught him on the back end of his career as he'd gotten out of college and stuff. So he was a huge mentor to me early on and just really one, just understand like this is a real profession that you can pursue. Um, and so did that for a summer and then, uh, you know, went back to school, finishing classes, needed the internship to graduate. Um, because I didn't know any better, I sent out two resumes, uh, one to the Kansas City Chiefs, one to the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, interview for both those. I actually got offered both of them. And that's like, bold. That is a bold. That's a bold thing to do to no, as a young guy. It's, it's, it's it's only bold if you know what you're doing. There was more. Yeah, exactly. There's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of Forrest Gump in my career. Um, and uh, so the day after Christmas in I guess that would have been God ninety. 99, I think. Um, yeah, it would have been Christmas 99, except for the job at the Vikings. Uh, so went back to school, uh, went up there during spring break, worked OTAs, went back to school, finished the semester, moved back up there in May to work the off-season program um, as an unpaid intern. And then they put me in a like paid seasonal position throughout the throughout the 2000-2001 season. Coach Green got fired then to that season. We all went our different ways. Um, I knew I still needed to go to grad school, so I needed that, that experience. And once again, I literally had zero college network at all whatsoever so i knew one college strength coach and that's who i reached out to and the only reason i knew that one college strength coach was we had some guys in the roster the vikings at that time who uh lived in vegas and spent their summers at unlv training with mark philippi so got it uh, and that was pre-internet days so i'm like searching through directories trying to find a way to contact this guy that i don't know and got got in touch with him and just offered just i want to learn I'll, I'll work i'll you know whatever you want and Basically said, yeah, if you want to come out, you can come out. So uh, my wife and I got married that summer. And five days later, we moved to Vegas and for me to take an unpaid internship. And she had no job. And no one in either of our families ever said, hey, this is a bad fucking idea. Just, you guys will do great. And off we went. Um, so spent two and a half years out there. Um, at one point, I was working. I had three jobs. I was taking like six credits. I was volunteering the ex-phys lab and uh, – still be still perform job you know my duties as an intern in the weight room there so that was about you know three hours of sleep at home at night and about a 45 minute nap during in my truck during the day and one thing to the next thing to the next thing and that kind of that kind of pared itself down over time so i got to the point where i was eventually just taking classes and then had a paid position in the weight room which is essentially like a you know they didn't have a ga position so i was still paying my own tuition but it's like a restricted earnings coaching position so mm-hmm. did that, did that for a couple seasons, uh, got an opportunity when Joe Ken hired me in Arizona state in 2005, uh, okay. went down there and then was forced to spend 11 seasons in Arizona state. So went through three head coaches and four ADs. And so got kind of lucky at the point of most guys careers, when you're making a move every two years, trying to climb that ladder, I did that all from the same office. So when I got there, I was our you know lowest paid entry level, uh, full-time guy. And then when I left there, I was, our top assistant that was football only. Um, and then from there, uh, moved on with, uh, coach Norvell, the university of Memphis. So, uh, when Todd Graham's football staff came in there, coach Norvell was the offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. uh, him and I had a really good relationship. And then when that opportunity presented itself for him, I got the call the night he got the job. I got the call to let me know I was going to. So there was on the Memphis for four years, uh, making that transition to being a head strength coach and the the learning curve that comes along with that. You find out no matter how prepared you think you are, you're not as prepared as you think you are. First thing I learned there was like, as being the head guy is like, you don't get to 
second guess decisions anymore. Like you don't get to have opinions. You have to make decisions and uh, in real time. And so, you know, adjusting that and had great staff there, was able to coach some awesome kids there. We won a, won a ton of games in four years, uh, played for the conference championship three times, won at once, and then uh, got the opportunity to come here to Florida State. So uh, after the Cotton Bowl in 2019, flew back with the team, took a nap at the house, did some laundry. My wife, Darcy, and son, Colt, and I hopped in the truck in the morning, drove to Tallahassee. It was dark when we got here, woke up in the morning to figure out where we were living at now and started house shopping. And here we are four years later. Man, that was a lot. And uh, it's, it's, you know, I'm listening to it. There's so many things coming out of this. First, just, you know, I, I opened this up by saying I'm sure things are uber crazy right now, but the life of a strength and conditioning coach to even get to the point that you're at in your career, like what's crazy anymore? Like what's wild? I mean, it's, it's a constant, it's a constant grind. Uh, and you just articulated a, a story that while it's your own story and all the strength and conditioning coaches I've ever talked to that have made it to the level that you're at and, and uh, as a professional that's earning a living, supporting their family uh, and loves doing it has a very, very similar story. And that's just one of, look, you have to be really sure this is what you fucking want because it's going to be a grind. And while you said... I got super fortunate, like at Arizona, I was in the same spot for 11 years. Regardless, there's there's stuff going on there that you have to, be, like you said, grind out. And the last thing I would say to that is, is, you know, as these guys tell their story, there's always that moment where they go, I got so lucky at this point and at this point with this particular mentor in this particular way. And and guys look back and they really honor that. They're just, you know, guys like you are just looking at it go, look, if this hadn't happened or if I hadn't met this person or I hadn't been in this right place at this right time or when opportunity met, you know, like kind of the reality or the situation that was going on, who knows where I would be because there's so many people that have started and stopped this process uh, and never and will never make it to the level that you had because sometimes it's, it's a matter of capability. They just don't have it or they don't have the work ethic. And then there's always a little bit of luck that comes into that, into that yeah, too. I mean, it's to, to make it, to make it in this, in this business long-term. And one of my guys told me this a long, long time ago. And he's like, it's a war of attrition. He goes, every year guys are going to burn out and they're going to get out of the business. And that opens up opportunities for guys who are still willing to grind it out and stay in, you know, and the, the longer you can stay in, I mean, obviously, you know, you got to do a good job. People got to see value in you as a person and what you can provide their program and all that. But that doesn't matter if you're not also willing to grind it out too. So those two things have to have to coincide with each other to make it. So, you know, you just, you gotta, you know, you come, you know, the, the story's quick, but you know, I look back now and that's 24 years, you know? Yeah happens fast. I, you know, it, I mean, you just nailed it too. This is a performance-based business. You're either performing or you're not. Like your athletes are either performing or they're not. They're either getting injured or they're not, or they're, the, the percentages of injuries is either reducing or it's not. And you're able to get a player back into, you know, into action or you're not. Uh, th- those are, those are, those are metrics that are measured on a, on a regular basis, on a daily basis, and obviously a season by season basis. And when coaches leave, Often the first guy that goes is going to be that S and C guy too, the strength and conditioning coach. Like if a if a head coach gets canned, you know, or has to move on for whatever reason, usually the strength and conditioning coaches they don't make the cut beyond that; they're gone too. So the fact that you were like at a place like Arizona or wherever for multiple seasons with multiple coaches, for those people that know, it's that speaks a lot, very highly of the metrics that you were likely achieving during that time, because you can only get so lucky. 
right? There's a, there's a, this is not a, this is not a business or a place where you can hide, uh, behind, you know, a name most of the time. Cause again, you're either winning or you're not, you're your athletes either performing or not, which ultimately yeah. injuries. And, and you not. gotta, you gotta believe in yourself too, and not be afraid to, you know, advocate for yourself at times when the time is right. You know, when, when I was at Arizona state, when Dennis Erickson staff got fired and they hired Todd Graham as the new head coach, um, you know, we already knew who his who his strength coach was because typically, you know, you know, if you had a head football coach, head strength coach with a good relationship, like that's a that's a package deal more often than not, right? And yep. uh, so, we, so we knew he was bringing, you know, he was coming in, and obviously he has a staff, he has a staff too. So you're going to expect that he's going to bring his staff with him, you know. And um, we had some in between time because we were getting ready for bowl prep. We were playing the Las Vegas Bowl that year, and so basically the the staff that just been fired is still there operating get ready to go play this bowl game and then on the third floor above them is what was there for the new football staff working on recruiting and getting their feet on the ground and stuff too and uh you know i knew at one point you know this after my my boss the head guy had been already let me already notified he was gonna let go you know none of us have been told anything yet and i'm like like i'm still here for a month right and so and like you know i didn't particularly care to leave but at the same time i was like you know what like there's two things you can do when your staff gets fired. Some guys will say, well, fuck it. They're going to fire me anyways. They cash it in. They ride out their last few days and basically give the new staff every reason possible. Like, well, of course we're going to let this guy go. Yep. Or, or you can stay in place and do your fucking job. Right. And like, my thing is like, I'm loyal to the kids. That's why I'm here is because the kids, well, at that point we set a whole football team there and get ready to go play a bowl game. I'm going to stay there and take care of the kids. And so I went, I actually went up to the third floor, you know, unannounced, you know, to talk to coach and, you know, told, told coach Graham, I said, listen, you know, I introduced myself, who I was told him what, you know, what my, what my title and role was to that point. I'm sure he had no idea. And I just told him, I said, listen, like, like I'm the assistant strength coach. My job is to assist the head strength coach. I know you're bringing in coach Griswold. I said, I need his number. I need to be able to contact him. I got to be able to know what he knows, what, what he needs to be ready to roll when he gets here. Cause he was still at pit, get ready for their role game as well. Kind of that similar situation just on the, on the other end of it, you know? And I said, I got to make sure that he's set up for success when he gets here. And, you know, I know I knew doing that, like they could have easily used me for every bit of work and information and every other piece along the way and still let me go anyways. Or that says something about you as a man and what, what, how you're wired and where, where your, where your compass is at to that job and those loyalties and whatnot. And I'm like, if I'm going to get fired, I'm going to go out and do it the way I think it should be done. Right. And so that's just the path I took. And then like that, that, that conversation had had a huge impact on not just my relationship with coach Graham, but also my ability to stay there and stay employed at Arizona state for the next, you know, four years before moving on to Memphis. Yeah. I was just going to, just going to ask, but you, I think you just answered it. The follow-up question was, was like, what did that mean for you and your family? And, and you just said it, uh, you know, if you, if you make, if you think differently, if your mindset's even a little bit different there, and again, you're throwing up your hands, I'm out, you know, whatever. Okay. I'm getting fired, whatever. What does that ultimately mean? Well, maybe you get another job somewhere else. Maybe you don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, but if you do, that means the family has to pick up and move yet again, which is part of the life. Uh, and so when, you know, like kids don't necessarily sign on for that often, like spouses do because they kind of get it. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Like, I'm sure we don't, we don't have to get into all of that. But you, you can't do this without your number one fans, usually. And that's going to be your family, you hope. But if you if you're not you're thinking about the kids you mentioned like the kids as athletes and and what they had in front of them and you know that that time in their life maybe and that that was going to be their one opportunity to kind of shine and get something accomplished to remember by and move forward in life and 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 uh and uses you know kind of that reach back to how do i get through tough things in my life 
same goes for your family and the stuff you're doing. I, I, these are messages that I think are often lost in the journey or the hard work process. People see the end. They see the, oh, he's the head strength and conditioning coach. Tell me what education I need to have, right? Where do I have to go to school? What certifications do I need to have? And all that stuff. But, you know, again, the guys that I know that have ultimately been successful, while that is obviously uber important, what the education is, is... <laughs> those lessons in life and uh, yep. how to manage the adversity. Cause that's ultimately what you're doing on a daily fucking basis as a strength and conditioning coach. No doubt. There's no doubt. It comes, it comes a lot of different ways to, you know, and you know, I think a lot of the, you know, my deal in Arizona state, but just me in general life, like I'm probably too stubborn to quit in a lot of cases, you know? So i like, I decided like, if I said go out as a go out of my shield, my way there and, and, if I had to find the next thing, I would go find the next thing. But fortunately for me, my next thing was still right there in the same office I just spent the previous six years. Yeah, uh, what a great story, man! And and uh, you know, I knew very little about it, but so thanks for for resharing it in the way that you just did. And I, you know, I, I always say this when I have strength and conditioning guys on to those aspiring coaches out there, and whatever you're coaching, right? Uh, whatever you're coaching, but particularly, obviously, the strength and conditioning guys that are like, yeah, I want to work with the pro team someday. I want to work at you know with with college athletes. You just heard all the stuff that you're going to need to do in order to stay into this business wrapped into like a three-minute kind of bio. Uh, hopefully hopefully you're ready to, to settle into that because that's what it's really like. I've never heard it told a different way. Again, everybody has their own story, but it usually starts and stops with, I got lucky. I had to work really hard. I slept on a few couches. Uh, you know, I, I had to build strong relationships and almost like the term network isn't even a strong enough word to describe what you build or have to build um, around you in order to be successful in this game. Um, and again, I'm only talking from an outside observer and somebody that was a recipient of guys like you and the stuff that you brought to the table. So, yeah, and, and even in those situations, your your network is only as good as your worth, right? I mean, if if you're if you know if you're bringing high value and high worth to your position and to the athletes you coach it's funny that you suddenly have a much stronger network looking out for you when those, when those times come, when you do need to fall back on that network. Right. 100%, and, so, 100%. And, and that's, what's one thing I always, you know, with young, young coaches getting this business, like, you know, a few things I tell them is, you know, one, don't try to talk them out of it. First of all, because you gotta find out, you know, do they really, really want this? And two, if you are going to pursue this, like your significant other boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, whoever, like, you got to do a great job of educating them what it is going to be like, you know, like my son's grown up, not much different than like, like your military brat kids, right? It's three or four years here. It's three or four years there, you know, and when it's time to move, like it's not your choice, maybe where you're moving, when you're moving or even why you're moving, you know? And then also too, is just, it's, it's the relationships along the way. Like you can know everything you want to know with the science and in the books and, and all these things, but if, if you're not equally adept at being able to build relationships and communicate and reach people, then you're going to feel wondering why you're not getting that opportunity. Well, just because you know all this, like, can you convey it? Can you build relationships? Like, are you, are you a person that people like to work with? Right. And all that, all that stuff, all that stuff's equally important. You know, you got to be able to do both because if you're just a great relationship guy and a great motivator and all this, but then you don't know your head from your ass when it comes to programming and training, good luck. Well, right. you can be, you can you can recite the super training book to me word for word, but if you can't reach a kid and you can't communicate to coaches, good luck. You know you got you got to be a little bit of a Swiss Army knife to be a head strength coach because you got to be a lot of things to a lot of different people. You know, most of all your family, and you got to be a totally different person when you go home to do that. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to this uh, in having great leaders or recognizing that they've had a few along the way. And also on the flip side of that, obviously recognizing that people were in positions that the position was maybe just too big for them or that they had an opportunity to adapt to and adjust to and they just couldn't do it or wouldn't do it is probably more likely. But the what I think what you're really talking about at the end of the day without putting words in your mouth is just leadership and leadership skill along the way. And, uh, I mean, you, you're, you're charged with a pretty big responsibility. I mean, Florida state's no freaking joke, man. I mean, they have, uh, they have a long, uh, they have a long history of winning. Winning is important at Florida state at every level, but particularly on the football field. Um, I mean, I remember as a kid growing up, I had, I had some Seminoles hats and, and, uh, and jerseys and stuff, watching some of those guys come up and really respecting how things were being handled at the time only knowing what I knew as a young, as a young guy, but you could see like there was a, there was a purpose behind, you know, the coaching and obviously the program and the, and the great programs always did. You just articulated, I think what makes that happen. Um, and so without, you know, kind of going on about that, I could, I could talk to you about those experiences all day long. I, um, and, and you probably have some really great stories some really, you know, cool war stories about what happened on and off the field in the locker room or in the training room or whatever. But, you know, like, I, I think just kind of catching people up, like what you, you just kind of said, like what it takes to get there, like, we're, you're right in it right now, right? I mean, the season has just started. Talk to us about that. What's, what's life like on a daily basis for you at the moment? So a daily basis right now, you know, we're just going into week three. Um, so really right before I hopped on here, we just got out of an afternoon staff meeting. Um, so kind of the way our program set up is we practice in the mornings. Um, part of that we do that because of academics, but really and truly the main reason we do it is like, yeah, I think like all of us when you're 18 to 22 years old, we're all wired to be active and alert and stuff at night. Not so much in the mornings, right? And also now, you know, like us this week, you're playing a noon kickoff, you know, pregame meals at 8 a.m. You got to be ready to roll and go out and perform at a high level and play ball early. So that's part of the reason why we practice in the mornings. Um, so which means our day, our day starts early. You know, um, you know, like my young guys, my developmental lift group, they'll lift in the mornings before practice that uh, whether it be 6 a.m. or 7 a.m., depending on which day of the week we're on. Uh, from there, we'll transition out of that to a staff meeting. I'll come down at the staff meeting. I'll knock my own training out in the morning before practice. As soon as I'm, you'll get to practice, you'll get through stretch. We'll have some guys we'll work with so with some return to play and reconditioning stuff. Um, a couple of roles and stuff that we, that we fulfilled during the course of practice. As soon as practice is over, depending on what day of the week it is, um, I'll have two other separate lift groups. Uh, basically, one group is kind of like our two deep group, and the other group is more like developmental vets that aren't playing as many snaps. Those guys will lift immediately after practice. Um, so then by you know one thirty or so. Most of the kids are done, gone, out of here. Um, you know, time to get to, time to get you know organized for the next day. Time for a little professional development. Uh, you know, go back. I'll rehash stuff with uh, Jackson Schaefer, my sports science guy. You know, I'll get with Josh Chapman, our head athletic trainer, to go through any of the injury stuff that popped up, where guys were at in the process, and then you know, before you know it, it's you're 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 on to the next one. Yeah, I think you just you just kind of articulated like it's a fast moving deal, and it takes an entire team of people to make this happen, and you're not doing anything inside a vacuum, right? You got you got you got all this stuff. So let's can we talk. Let's talk about the players actually for a second. What what um you know, like how involved are you in like the player selection or like position selection? You know, for like a game, even for like the team, but even in like the like the, from a week to week uh. Specific, uh you know, situational, uh, 
perspective, you know, like, um, like the lineup, I guess, or whatever, like is, what does that look like for restricting and conditioning coaches perspective where you're at? I mean, it might be different other places, but yeah, well, you know, for, for, for that here, like, and I really, I don't know too many strength coaches that were like, they have any impact on how that's going to look or whatnot, you know, kind of from, you know, uh, in the recruiting process, obviously we, we meet, talk to recruits that come through, you know, get a chance to kind of start building relationships with those guys. Part of the, part of it is, you know, for us, you know, pulling back the curtain, let them know what it's going to be like when they get here. We have a very upfront, very upfront uh, approach to recruiting. Um, Mm -hmm. We definitely, our sales pitch is this program is not for everybody. It's only for real ones. This is one of the hardest places you can come to play. There's a lot of other places that will be easier to play at than coming to Florida State. And we were very transparent with that in the process with those guys. And that helps us get the right kind of guys in the door to begin with. Um, And so we'll provide some feedback on what we thought on certain kids, you know, personalities, how they took in Mm -hmm. certain information and whatnot. Um, you know, there's guys we have questions on, on body types and stuff. Obviously, obviously a lot of times our, our, our player personnel guys will kind of consult with us or position coach will consult with us on, you know, do you think this kid can realistically develop up and, you know, you might have a, a you know, young DN that's six, five, he's still 205 pounds. And like, is this a guy that could be a 250 guy or is this frame going to limit him or what's it going to look like? And so we'll, we'll provide some, you know, some insight and educated guesses on that, you know, and then, you know, and, and really like, that's kind of like our piece of, you know, player selection and recruiting and, and roster building and whatnot. Then at the end of the day, like just my job, once to bring those kids here is to, is to get them on board and build the machine. They need to go play college football, you know, and some guys are great athletes and they're terrible in the weight room. So if I can close that gap, great. Some guys are awesome in the weight room and maybe not as great athletically. So it's my job to help close the gap on that end. And, you know, every kid's a little bit different coming in, you know, we get guys that are, you know, whatever, multiple times state powerlifting champs because, you know, powerlifting is a high school sport in Florida. Or we'll get some guys who are equally talented who have never put their hands on a barbell in their life, you know. And so, yeah, I kind of meet those kids where they are and get them into your way, your fold, your system and, and bring them along as, as best you can in the, in the development piece of things. Yeah, this goes back to the connection piece that you were talking about, like just being able to kind of get your hands on a kid and get them to kind of buy into the process. I think that's kind of like the next next question. I think it starts with the staff. Like, talk about, then we can get to the kids, but talk about like that managing that staff and those relationships and, you know, like how does that get done? Is it, you know, is it all coming from the head coach? Is, is it really up to the coaches to make sure that they're having those communications? Like, I guess if I looked at it from like a corporate structure, like what does that communication plan look like on a daily basis? Like what does that culture kind of look and feel like? Because when you spend that much time, there's that much intensity. I imagine sometimes it goes really well, and other times you might even be button heads or just like, you know, somebody has a bad a bad day and it doesn't go smooth. Can you talk about the realities of that? Yeah, you know, and, and sometimes those situations where there is conflict or you are button heads, oftentimes if that's handled the right way, that's oftentimes where really good relationships can start from, mm-hmm. right? And and getting that kid to understand, like, yo, I came down on you that way because of this. You know, I see this in you, and I saw your standard. You know, you told me what you want out of this game. You told me what you're trying to accomplish here, and I'm watching your actions that matched up with what you told me you want. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to understand, mm-hmm. my job is to help you get what you want. Right. And, you know, I'll tell my guys, my staff all the time, I got no problem. If you, if you have to, if you have to go in on a kid, don't hesitate, do it, pull the trigger on it. But if you do that, it is now equally responsibility to circle back as things have cooled down with the why and the reason and those things. Because at the end of the day, we've all, we've all, played for, worked for, been around coaches or leaders. They got no problem with what, like what I call it, the drive-by shooting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was random. We don't know why it happened. Uh, coach is just on one today. Don't worry, bud. That's just how he is. And guys will miss the moment, right? 
to me, there's gotta be purpose and tact behind it. So like, if it was a kid that, if it's a kid that I really got, that we got to get on like that, you got to go back on the back end and, and Hey, do you know why that happened? And oftentimes what's mm. cool down, the kid usually gets it like, yeah, you know, I, I was, I was yep. bullshitting or I was this or that or whatever, you know, and you got to have those conversations. And last time it's those moments that kids like, man, coach actually really gives a shit about me because he couldn't just right. let that go, you know? Yep. And, and that's a big thing for young coaches. You know, everything's got to be this, you know, ultra intense over the top maniac all the time. And like for a lot of guys, that's what turns them off. You know what I mean? Like, yep. You got to look at the, the, the households they came from, yeah. their experiences with male role models in their life. You know what I mean? And like, so like you, you got to build the relationship first. You got to build the trust first. And once you have that, you can be as hard on a kid and have as, 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 as high of a standard as you possibly want for them. Because ultimately, that is what they want. And it's my, it, where my job becomes like that is in the days when they can't quite get that, get to that, that point, that edge on their own. It's, that's where it's my job to help get them there. And if they can consistently do that over the course of their career on the days they can do it on their own and the days they need me to do it for them, ultimately they can get where they want to go in the end. You know? And then when you're handling guys like that, the rest of your roster sees that. And they'll see how you coach guys. They'll see how you interact with guys. And you may be, through my interactions with you, I may be building trust with that guy over there because mm. he sees how our interactions are working. You know, and that, that helps with the overall buy-in and belief and stuff in your program. You know, I try to coach our guys here the same way I would want my son coached, right? Mm. That's fine. Coach them hard. Hold them to a high standard. But like, I'm not one of those guys that sit here and, and dog cuss my guys and call them every name in the book or whatever. Most of the time, like my role really and truly to be effective, you're more of a teacher. Like mm. if you have a kid that sucks at something or is doing bad at something, trust me, it's not because he wants to. Mm. He probably doesn't know any better at this point, right? He doesn't understand what that le- what the temperature needs to be on this day, or he doesn't understand <clears throat> what the intent of this drill or this lift or this movement may be. It's my job to be able to teach him that. Well, if he if he's been taught that and he understands that and has shown he can execute it, then the times he's not, that's coaching to get that to where he will, right? Yeah. But lots of times you can try to get on a guy like that, but like the kid doesn't even know. I've seen it before, you know, practices, you know, coach gets on a kid and like you'll ask him afterwards, like, hey, do you know why that happened? Uh, no. Big eyes, you know, because they just got their ass chewed or something. It's like, this is why. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh. Okay, and then they can fix it. You can't fix something you don't understand, right? So it's our job. I always tell my guys, like, we're essentially teachers, right? We just have a, we have a very different classroom than most, but then they were teachers and educators, right? And then as, aside from that, like, talking about the time from coach and how things come down from the top, like, you know, coach has a very specific vision for this program of how it's going to look, how it's going to operate, all those things. So one, it takes teamwork between all the different departments to make that happen. But then also, because I do get the kids year-round, I get so much time with these guys, it's my job to be the be basically outside of him the number one conveyor of our culture mm-hmm. and our way and our standard because I get the most opportunity to teach it. Yeah, there's, man. Again, so many things there. You know, you go back to the relationships, the connections with the with the kids, and the you understanding they probably just don't even know, and and, and that's different than being lazy. Uh, because if you don't know, you, you can't really say it's lazy. Uh, you know, just go back to like, okay, well, if they don't know what to do, then you have to train them. Right. And then once you train them and they're still, they still don't know, then I, you know, you kind of look back at yourself and go, man, I didn't do a very good job training them, I guess. So you take that responsibility and you train them again. And then you check in a little harder to make sure that they've got it. And once they've nodded their head or once you've done the training, you have to make some decisions like, okay, is this kid on the bus or is he not on the bus? And is he capable or is he not capable? Because those are two different things too. Like if he's capable and not on the bus, all right, well, maybe he needs a little bit more motivation somehow, like external, internal, something like that. But if he's, yeah. if he's, if he's 
um, not on the bus and he's capable, that's even a different conversation or excuse me, capable and not on the bus or, or on the bus and not capable. Um, those are other tougher conversations or, or things that you, you've got to, you've got to, you know, I, I think what, where I, what I picked up there is like, you have your finger on the pulse all the time. Cause you're, you're getting these touches with these, with these kids and it has to be communicated up the chain, uh, to help them, you know, you're, you're, your team of coaches keep their finger on the pulse. And I think this is just, again, this is just leadership. It's business organization, it's business management, it's team management 101. And I, you know, and I, I look out there, I talk to a lot of coaches that coach a lot of different things, whether that be in sport, in the gym, on the firearms range, in business and whatever else. And at the end of the day, I think the number one skill that you ultimately can, beyond all the, the knowledge that you might have and whatever else is how to connect with the people that are in front of you in the way that makes the most sense to be the most productive. And, and some of us, we want to be yelled at. I got to tell you, like I, some of those conversations you just described, like just coach just coming in on me super hard. If I hadn't had that, I don't know where I'd be. Right. And then there were, there were other times where I watched coaches absolutely just destroy a kid and just know that that kid just wasn't getting anything out of that whatsoever. Even as a kid, I could see it like you're just yep. destroying this guy. He, he's not he's not getting it. And then what does yeah. that do? What have you what have you accomplished? You know, at the end of yeah. the day, and, and that and that comes down like you got to know and understand your kids. Like I have some, you know, I have, you know, some guys, you know, on whatever, this team, other team, whatever. Like, like if you try to like challenge them publicly they're going to wall it off. They're going to try to protect their ego. They're not going to hear it. They're not going to do those things. They're trying to protect themselves in front of their peers. Right. But that same guy, oftentimes, if you go pull him aside, have an arm around him, you can probably have an even harder conversation with him and challenge him to a higher degree. And they will be receptive to it. Now there's Mm -hmm. some guys that will only respond to that, that, to the public stuff. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's where you got to know your kids, you know, and typically I always start with the, let me have this conversation with you before I have it with we. Right. Because for most guys, probably gonna fall in the individual category first. Or if that first interaction with the guy is a negative one, you may have a lot harder road ahead of you rebuilding that relationship mm-hmm. back up. So I, like I always try to I always try to aim before I shoot. Right. And that's probably the biggest thing I've, I've learned as I've gotten older in this career, because I used to be really, really good at shooting before I'd aim. And there's times when I was extremely wrong and felt like a huge piece of shit for things I said and things I did because I didn't know the situation the kid was going through at that time. Whereas if I'd maybe went about it the other way, it could have been much more productive. It could have been a far more prosperous situation to be in, but made the mistake like a lot of young coaches do and pulled the trigger long before I went to the scope. And I think that's a metaphor for a lot of things going on in society today. You know, if we just took a step back for a second and, and got focused for a minute and really tried to understand and develop the what it was we were trying to get across and the reasons why, like people would be a lot more receptive. We've had a lot more, there'd be a lot less division. And I think there'd be a lot more acceptance to at least, at the very least, like you were mentioning, this having the conversation in, yeah. in whatever way possible. Well, um, even just even just the acknowledgement of the fact that we don't all know what the other guy <laughs> is going through. Everybody, yeah. everybody's going through stuff, right? And so, like, you got no idea what you know, especially you know, like like our kids, man. Like from every background you can imagine, good, bad, otherwise, with school, with all the external pressure, with the pressure of being Division one the college athlete, expectations of family or friends or just the general public, social media, all those things. Like those, these guys' plates are full and there is a lot of stress from a lot of different directions coming at these guys. So on any given day, you don't quite know what, what that guy may have went through just that morning. Or you know what I mean? And so that's why like the, the relationships, those kids can feel open to come to you about stuff or when you got to come to them on something, 
knowing how to go about it. Because more often than not, most of these kids, man, they, they want to do right. They want to do good. They want to be successful. And sometimes like they got things in their life that are getting in the way of that. And so it's on me to try to figure that out and try to put them in the best situation. One, maybe learn how to deal with that other stuff, maybe how to cut out some of the other stuff, and then how to stay on the path that ultimately they all truly do aspire to be on this. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's the, the best coaches understand that. And uh, you're working with young men in their formable years uh, that, I mean, you mentioned it, you know, coming from all different types of backgrounds and whatever. And we see that stuff, you know, uh, manifest into poor behavior, bad decisions, and it winds up in the news. Uh, I guess basically what you're describing is all the things that you guys end up having to do to keep them out of those situations or at least teach them how to make better decisions. And I don't, I don't think there's a lot of credit given to, you know, coaches doing what you're doing um, in that way. Uh, so, I mean, you, you're on top of that, you're also trying to be a performance-based coach, right? And so there's the programming piece and there's all the things that go into this. And that's where I want to take a little bit of a turn and kind of get into some of the nuts and bolts of coaching uh, or, excuse me, strength and conditioning and, and kind of how you're, you, you handle stuff. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come like, I'm going to come like outright and, and, um, and get in with some kind of some deep questions that I think people outside may not be able to relate to right away. But as we go down the path, they can start to apply this, these same questions to their own training, what they're doing, like from a physical training perspective, what they're doing on the range, what they're maybe doing with their nutrition, with their life for that matter. But so first I'm going to ask is just like, how do you link physical capacity with skill uh, specific to any of the testing, like movement testing that you're doing, um, how, how do you guys go about doing this? Like, what's the? Is there a method? Is it standardized? What do you do? You know, I, w- I always, I always go back to like what, like when it comes to like your like kind of like programming and say like what we're doing in the gym or what we're doing in field work. Ultimately, what job am I training that guy to go do? Hmm. And does the training look like the job he is supposed to go do? And if it doesn't, then why am I doing it, right? right? Am I doing it because I can say, oh, we test this. And these guys are got better at this. Okay, does it relate to their job? No, not at all. Mm-hmm. Then why are we doing that, right? <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. And, and, and so for me, it, it, it's trying to boil it down and keep it as efficient and streamlined as possible to get them ready to go do the job that they have to go do. And you know, you're going to look at some performance metrics and stuff along the way. But like we all know, like strength isn't linear performance isn't linear it's gonna follow trends there's gonna be waves there's gonna be highs and lows and all those things and so it's just it's looking at trends and progression and and, and those types of things um but the but like i said the, the big thing is like it's it's training nutrition all of a sudden you can make it as confusing and overwhelming as you want it doesn't mean it has to be that way right mm-hmm. and even how we progress that we progress guys through the program and like the the movements that we select for them and the program that they're in you know just because you can doesn't mean you should or that you need to either. You know, my mom's, you know, 67 years old. Well, can she put chains on a bar and squat it? Probably. Is that what she mm-hmm. needs? No, right? <laughs> it's just like, you know, we'll get kids who'll come in on a high school program. Like, oh, yeah, we do bands and chains in my high school. I'm like, I can probably put my paycheck on. This kid's squat sucks to begin with, mm-hmm. right? And so I want to do all the sexy do, stuff. Yeah. 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 And so, so like, you know, what we do, like a lot of what we do, especially when I was very, very basic, but like, you got to build that foundation, right? And then that foundation has to lend itself towards what is the what is the goal? What's this kid's job? You know, am I looking at an old lineman? Am I looking at a DB? What are we looking at right. here? And what, what what's to be expected of him on the field? 
right? So then whatever in our drills, our field work, our metabolic conditioning, is that meeting the demands that he needs to go do his job and, and, and perform at a high level? And, you know, what's interesting for me, you know, because there's so, there's so much technology out there now, right? And it's all mm-hmm. interesting. It's all interesting. It's also not all actionable either, right? So you got to have a pretty good filter as to what technology do you want to employ? What metrics are you really going to look at that you can affect but also have impact on the job they're going to do? And so we got to keep an eye on those things. And then for me, like I was coaching for a hell of a long time before GPS was even a word used for, you know, performance, right? And so, you know, I have a lot of things like anecdotally over the years, well, we did this and it worked. Okay. Yep. Well, now if we're still doing some of the same things, do the numbers and do the data actually reflect Does it really? that this yeah. works, right? Mm-hmm. And as we get a lot of older coaches my age that get, you know, somewhat uh, intimidated by the technology because I think a lot of guys are worried that it's going to say you're wrong, right? And in, in most cases, what it tells you if you're doing the job, like, hey, you're pretty close. You know what I mean? A couple tweaks in volume here, a couple tweaks in, you know, your speed's there. And like now you're meeting practice demands. Now you're meeting position demands. And so that that's helped, that's helped us a ton the last few years as we've went deeper down that road of really, you know, evaluating, you know, what we're doing via the technology. And they'll, my guy says all the time, like, we're never going to be a, a data directed program, but we'll be a data informed program, mm-hmm. you know? And because at the end of the day, you know, you might look at workloads and this and that, like, should we cut back? Should we push harder? Well, the da- the numbers say this. Okay. Well, the numbers only a piece of the pie, right? You still think they have to trust your coach's eye and what you, what you know, a team needs to be prepared to go to go play and go perform at a high level. So, you know, you want, you want, you want the information from the data, but ultimately you still have to make a real time decision on what that's going to look like as far as the, you know, practice plan or training plan or any of those things. Yeah. This is the human part of human performance, right? It's again, you can have all the data in the world. Now, what do you do with it? Because everybody's an individual and it's very dependent on what exactly are, what's the outcome that we're looking for here. But more importantly, who are we dealing with? Like, what are the individual, um, you know, things about this person that will, uh, you know, dictate how we apply whatever the training modality, whatever the data, whatever the performance metric is. So I have a couple questions and I want to come back to the tech. Um, but like, so you mentioned like, again, position players, what is it that we're doing? Why are we doing it? What's the, what's the outcome we're looking for here and does it work or not? Right. Um, Again, coming back to the data in a sec, can you talk about the nuance between how that looks or the things that you're looking at, how that, what that application might look like between, say, like a newer, younger athlete coming in to the veteran athlete? And you mentioned a little something earlier about how you manage the training day and certain guys that may not be taking, that are taking more snaps that may be doing less weight training, right, or, or uh, uh, conditioning in the, in, the, in the weight room versus the guys that are taking less snaps might be spending more time there as, a, as kind of a leading. Can you talk a little bit about how you manage the different groups? Yeah, you know, I, you know we always look at, you know, when guys are coming in, like it's regardless of what kind of high school program they came out of, we're going to kind of start one basic spot and, and teach them like our way and the foundational way, right? And, you know, you may have squatted in high school. Maybe maybe the cues that we use in squat are slightly different or maybe our standard of depth is different or, you know, the, the way we the way we catch clean or whatever. Not maybe so we get guys on the blood board to do it our way, right? And so like with the strength of progression, kind of go back to, you know, some of the, the – uh, Chris Chris Carlisle said a long time ago, but like you have like the three hows of of strength and like and development, right? You know, first it's how how do you do the movement in the first place, right? Well, once once you've checked that box and the proficiency is there, then it's well, how strong can we get at that movement? 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And then as you creep to the end of that, when you get closer to like, you know, your capabilities, then, then it becomes how fast, you know, how explosively can we move that, how explosively can we move that same weight and, you know, to get that transfer over the field. Cause you might get it, you know, we had a, you know, oh, well, I'm in this, this last winter in squad 675. Okay. Now, listen, I could, could I program it out to get into squad 700 next year? Probably. You know, obviously mm-hmm. there's more risk involved. You're that strong because a, a strain becomes a snap, right? And, but, would that extra 25 pounds really make him a better football player? Yeah, high, highly, highly unlikely, right? He's already strong to play this game at any level. But if I can have that, help that guy be able to move better, if I can help that guy to be more explosive, well, will that make him a better player? There's a lot better chance of that helping him than another 25 pounds on his squat. Now, on the other end of that, I get a young freshman alignment in here, in here who could barely squat his body weight and it's not very good technique. Well, that guy definitely has to get stronger. He definitely has to get more technically proficient. He needs to spend more time in the how and the how strong before he ever worries about the how fast. Um, and we'll still try to sprinkle still some of those components in there. So like with those young guys, I'm looking at how and how strong there'll still be a little bit of how fast here and there as they start to learn force development and those types of things. But you know, it might be, I'm just throwing arbitrary numbers out, but that might be 5% of what he's doing. Whereas like that guy that's at the peak end of it, who like the how is long and done. He's got that. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he's first maxed out the how strong. Am I still going to push that guy for strength? Of, of course I am. Right. But maybe not, not to the same degree. He's be much more focused on the, the speed and the velocity of the movement, as opposed to just how much weight can I possibly get on the bar? You know, limit strength, limit strength matters. This is always going to be a game meant for big, strong physical men. But, when you get to a certain point, you are now a big enough, strong enough, physical enough man to go play this game. Okay, what else can I, what else can I, that I provide for you at this point? Yeah, this comes back to, man, I, that was awesome because I just recently having this conversation with, uh, with a couple of other human performance guys that have crossed over from the world of ethics. Actually, one guy came out of Memphis, as a matter of fact, um, and has cool. now moved into applying strength conditioning and human performance as it relates to the shooting game. And we were talking about this very thing and kind of like, what are the, say, if we looked at the domains of fitness, if you want to call them that, strength, power, balance, agility, uh, speed, all that kind of stuff, we start to line it up. Like, what is important? Like, and, and then what are, what do you think is the most important thing for you as a football player who plays defensive back, whatever, or you as the SWAT officer or Whatever, whatever it is your 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 profession or your your game is that you're that you're playing. What is it that you think is important, the most important? What are those things? And then, what actually are you training, right? Yeah. Because most people tend to gravitate to what they that what's what's what they're really good at. Like if you're a strength athlete and you're just strong as hell, you're the strongest guy in the gym. You always try to kind of maintain that, and you'll you'll just mm-hmm. gravitate to the things that that you're good at. Versus like, yeah. what are the things you're not good at, and uh, why aren't you training that way? More importantly, I think the question becomes is why aren't you doing that? And I think you just went back to like the Chris Carlisle thing. Um, they don't understand how. They don't know what they're supposed to be doing. And they're looking to, they're seeing like an end product or they're seeing a professional athlete or a veteran athlete doing something that seems very sexy. Uh, there's a lot of sizzle to it. It, 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 is the, it is the stuff where you want to grab a popcorn in, the ch- in a chair and watch this athlete express this strength, express this power in this athleticism. Uh, but you're forgetting that what they've done is they've mastered a high level of fundamentals and skill. So fundamentals, then skills building, and then putting that all on top of one another. And part of the skill is learning when and how much 
and obviously yeah. with a deep understanding of the why. I only yeah. bring that up because I think it crosses over so many things. And I see, again, for people that are training in the gym, whether you're, not a, whether you're a D1 football player or not, these principles do not change. They, they, are, they should still be applied in the game of life. Look, if you're, if, I guess if, like, look, if your goal is to max you know, deadlift whatever off the platform, then you're going to have to do deadlifts, right? And you're going to have to do a lot of them. And you're, you're, you're gonna, that's going to be a huge focus. But if that's not what you're doing, or if that's not your goal, why are you putting so much stock in that one movement and what it, and by doing that, what are you potentially taking away from all the other things that you should be gaining from the time and efficiency in the gym? Right. And like what you said, that just goes back to like, what job are you training to go do? You know what I mean? Like I can, I can take my guys here and, you know, make them whatever, bigger, stronger, more athletic, those things. And you might have a guy on the other side saying, you know, whatever they said, you know, SWAT community, special operations community, that sees that well that might not be what that guy needs to do because his job is very different than my guy's job are there some components that cross over absolutely there probably are but mm-hmm. you can't just take what works for one area and be like oh that's what's good here too you know and that goes right. back to that to, to the how and then knowing what, what you need and when you need it um and that, and that part that part's huge and it's just be able, be able to evaluate what is the what what is the task that needs to be accomplished okay what are the what are the tools that you need to develop to accomplish that task at a high level Okay, so then what's the best way in training to develop those tools that you need to go complete that task? Yeah, and that again, with understanding the concepts of individuality, specificity, mm-hmm. progressive overload, it just again, these are very basic things, and I think they get Tra- so tra- complicated. Yeah, it, even, yeah even training, training it is huge too. That, that's a giant indicator of what it is too. Yeah, you got you got guys that are you know my age, nearing fifty, that are trying to do what they were doing. They were twenty five, wondering why they're hurting all the time, or they're not getting the result that they're looking for. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why, and and if you're just reaching back to what worked for you before, because it worked for me then. You mentioned this before, like why? Why did it work for you then? And are you sure that it actually worked, or were you just in a much different situation metabolically, physiologically, all those things in order to yep. to to make anything that you did at that time, probably somewhat beneficial as it related to your fitness. And maybe you got a little lucky and got some cool results. Um, cause the meathead work approaches, you know, it works until it doesn't. And, and, you know, we talk about that stuff on the show all the time. Let's, um, let's circle back to the, is it working and, or, or, and why is it working with regard to the tech? And, you know, you kind of brought that up before and all the gadgets that exist out there and, and, and so forth. Like, what if any technology are you using? Um, like, and again, you're probably exposed. I'm sure Florida State gets hit up all the time. Like, hey, check out our new gadget. Use it for free. Give us your feedback in terms of their product development and obviously the marketing of that product. But what are the what are the what are the basic things that you use in your job on a daily basis from a tech perspective that are valuable? So, I, my one thing with tech is like. Uh, I mean, this is an old school, old school view of it, but I don't ever want to be so reliant on technology that if I show up to work tomorrow and the power's out in the building that I can no longer run my program. You know what I'm saying? And so, so that being said, what we do use technology wise, um, as far as like tracking like bar speed and velocity, I still use the Tendo unit. I know there's a ton of other options out there to do it that are more technically advanced than that. I still like the Tendo unit. Um, it's it you know it's it's simple but then like we'll track that like will we do some will we do some true like VB, vbt training we will lots of times i look at during the season though i look at like more like global trends 
So like it might be our, our, our top single on squad on a Sunday. Right. And I'll kind of see what, see what that moves at at that percentage across the board for the team. And if that, and if I'm looking at all those numbers, I'm like, man, they're moving that weight. Good. Well, that makes me feel comfortable in the progression that I wrote and what next week's going to look like. Mm-hmm. If I catch a week, I'm like, Whoa, we were slow today. This should not be this slow. Well, now I got to look like, okay, why did that happen? How do, how could, what do we got to, what do I need to do to intervene to be able to write the ship? Right. But if I don't have that information, you just take next week's jump and you keep going. You maybe keep digging those guys in a deeper hole throughout the season. Squats, right. Cleans, deadlift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so I might have to look at that and be like, hey, we got to, we, you know, we got to maybe take a look at our volume or take a look at our loading. But, you know, more often than not, you know, you look at it like, yep, those guys are moving good. That's a, that's a speed or even maybe even exceeds my expectations of how fast they're going to move that this week. We're in a great spot going into the next week to follow our progression. So even though I program it out well in advance, well ahead of time, I always know there's the opportunity to change as you go. You know, one of the biggest things Mark Phillippe taught me at UNLV when it comes to programming is like, yeah, he goes, he goes, don't get too caught up in thinking this just a science. It is just as much an art as it is a science. Do you have to know the science? Yes. But you also better be a little bit of an artist with it too if you really want to have that program be effective. Um, the other thing we'll use, uh, we'll use the, the Nord board quite a bit. Okay. So it's like uh, Nordic hamstring test, you know, tell me force left or right on the, on the hamstring. And that's another good one for me because once again, like that, it's, it's a simple test. It's a movement we do with the program anyways um, at, a, at a very frequent basis. And, you know, I can take a look. Like our guys' numbers trending up or they're trending down. Well, if they're trending down, is it fatigue? Is it overtraining? Is it injury? What is it? Or, you know, I can look at the balance and left and right. You know, this guy's always pretty symmetrical. Also, now there's a, you know, 5% difference. That's still okay. But what if that 5 becomes 10, becomes 15, becomes 20? Well, there's something going on. And that, that same kid, I may be like, hey, how do you feel? I feel good. I feel great. You look at his speeds of practice. He's still running fast. But, like, that's a huge red flag. There's something going on. Now, it might be as simple as the guy's hips are out of alignment and you just get reset, Right. Or you may have something else going on. So, like, if we can try to like intervene in that training with some more single leg stuff, check it out, try to dig, try to dig a little bit deeper, then maybe we can, you know, you can never prevent injury, right? Yeah, but there is time. There is time. There is times where there might be a red flag that maybe we can intervene before something small becomes something bigger, right? Um, so we use that quite a bit, and then uh, at, pra- at practice, obviously, we uh, we use catapult GPS with all of our guys. Well, not all of our guys in practice with about. 70% of our roster at practice, we use catapult GPS. Um, okay. And so then, you know, we just, we look at like our, our standard practice metrics and how we want to break that down. Uh, you know, we kind of have our, our broad kind of lighthouse metrics that we'll kind of evaluate practice with and you know, global stuff. And then Jackson kind of takes the more laser pointer approach into specific guys into more specific metrics from guy to guy, depending on what he's working on or what he's going through. And that just goes to show of like, Trust me, I'm not a sports scientist, right? Like, you know, the biggest thing when I hired him, I told him, like, I understand training, right? What I need you to do is if you can identify problems or issues or questions or scenarios within that the data is showing you, bring me those and then let me figure out how to solve those problems. And like, that's that's where I enjoy the the technology, right? Um, and so those those are our main pieces. We got a lot of other smaller stuff that we'll do, but those are those are our main like bread and butter, heavy hitter stuff that we lean on. Yeah. I think for a lot of strength and conditioning coaches that right, you just said there makes a lot of sense. You know, obviously when you're looking at, um, speed, like or velocity based training and then the, the nor board and you know, the, the hamstring being the hamstrings being like a, that weak link, you know, just sort of, that's the one that takes, takes kids out, you know, or whatever. And 
I, I've heard this. I've heard this before. I actually hear this from and a lot of uh, from a lot of strength coaches that they've adopted that same type of approach with the with the hamstring st- or the the Nordboard. Sorry, I keep saying hamstring, but the Nordboard mm-hmm. technology to keep an eye on things. And what they've said is metrically, they can measure the fact that they've been using that as part of their training program, and they do focus on that from a conditioning perspective. They have less hamstring injuries. They have less low back injuries uh, as well. And so, you know, it'll, it'll take some time, you know, I'm sure with like uh, the, what's, what's the term I'm looking for, for like where the aggregation of all this data across all these coaches that will ultimately share it somehow or Nord, you know, the Nord system's got it like stored somewhere and yeah, it's going to yep. get released or whatever, but I'm sure it will, it will all come out and then it will make much more sense to everybody. Um, but can you just for a second, like the GPS stuff, just for for those people that are a little unfamiliar with it, can you kind of give an overview on how you use that and what that actually means? Because I think a lot of basically civilians use this, right? Or people that aren't competing in sports, they're using GPS technology at some level. They just don't understand necessarily the value in it or how it really works outside of, oh, I ran this far today or I did this many steps or whatever. Yeah. Yep. And so for, so for us with the catapult GPS, uh, for the shoulder pads, it's just, it's just a small, small unit that goes in between the shoulder pads or for not in pads, it kind of has like a, like a sports bra looking tank top that it goes in, into, uh, kind of right over the like, uh, seventh cer- cervical vertebrae. And so, and it's going to track thousands of points of data and you can get into the weeds super, super deep on it. So where you need, where, where that comes into, what are you really going to look at? What's actionable? What tells the most about your deal? And like it might be from sport to sport, you may look at totally different metrics, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have what we look at. You know, we'll take a look at like our, you know, obviously, you know, max velocity is always the cool one. Like how fast did that guy run on that play? Like that's 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 like the cool stuff to look at. That's stuff the kids like to look at. But even in football, that's that's just a function of opportunity, right? I mean, if I'm a wide receiver, I may not I may not have to hit 22 and a half miles an hour to catch this pass and score this touchdown. You know what I mean? That is a great. That is a great point. Yeah, that is a great point because I think when people look at metrics and data like that and they're trying to compare and they're going, all the time, everything is about like, well, what did the clock say? What did the timer say? What did the, you know, what did the, what, what's that measurement say? But there's all these other variables that come into play. So what does that really mean? I think that's a really important point to make, man. Yeah, yeah, and it does. It's, it's all relative based on the situation, you know. Um, and then, so, you know, like I said, that part's cool to look at. You know, we look at, you know, player load is kind of like catapults like arbitrary metric of like a basically a unit of measurement of work and so we kind of we, we use that to a certain degree because it's an easy number to throw out like what was high what was low but even in the even in the nature of guy moves i could have two guys do the exact same say say this is a practice say it's training right i could have the same two guys or two different guys do the same workout and have drastically different player load numbers because one guy's maybe a better more efficient mover than the other guy or one guy's maybe more of an abrupt accelerator decelerator. so numbers get a little bit different to that too but it does give you a decent global overview of how much work was done in this session today right um you know and then we'll look at our you know we'll look at our explosive movements our changes of direction to kind of see how efficiently the guys are moving you know how how intense was the practice and whatnot and so we keep it boiled down pretty narrow because as much as it tracks you you can't you can't chase everything right mm-hmm. you got to keep it to what like what can you manage what do you understand and then what can you actively affect so I wonder what your thoughts are on like the the, the person that, that loves gadgetry, like that loves technology and is just, you know, training themselves. They're not a, they're not a NC2A athlete. They're not a professional athlete or whatever, but maybe they are professional and being somewhat of an athlete is important, right? For their, for, you know, maintaining their performance and, and health in their career. 
What are your thoughts on these guys getting into programming, uh, getting programming, and then maybe getting gadgets and trying to manage all this stuff on their own as a professional in whatever it is that they do that isn't an athlete? And by the way, we could talk about athletes too, because I think what you just articulated was these guys, like this kid's job is to run routes and catch footballs and score touchdowns as well as being a student athlete, right? Like how much of that stuff do you want him worrying about or even sharing it with him um, is compared to what he needs to be doing on the field and thinking about on a daily basis? You know, it's kind of individual. We got some of our guys who are very interested in it. Like, hey, what were my numbers today? What, you know, hey, I, you know, I hit, I hit this play practice. How fast did I run? Or, you know, what's, you know, what, what, what was my Nordboard test? Oh, that's better than it was last time, or whatever. And then some guys, some guys truly don't care at all, and that's fine too. I don't need them to care about it. You know what I mean? I just need them to go when it's time to go, and then we can manage them the back end of how much or how not much they're going. Um, mm-hmm. As far as like, the individual goes, you know, your, your guy that, you know, is, you know, not a professional athlete, but takes his training serious. Maybe he's a, you know, he's a, he's a garage gym guy or whatever, but takes his training seriously. Like mm-hmm. by all means, like, like educate yourself on it, understand it, find out what works for you uh, in, in that technology. And then also, you know, just like we do as a program, you know, be data informed, don't be data driven. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so it's just keep an eye on those things. It's, it, it's, it's keep like, you know, I think for most guys, you know, I think, Probably for a, you know a lot of just you know what I, we'll call it recreation because we all take it more seriously than recreation. But for you know you're a lifter with nothing on the line other than you'd like to push yourself and you want to train hard. I think some of the velocity stuff is a good place to start to kind of see what velocities you're moving weights at. You know if you're supposed to hit this at ninety percent, well is your ninety percent really moving like ninety percent should move? You know maybe your ninety isn't ninety anymore. Maybe that's your new eighty-five. You know or maybe today you moved ninety like it was a hundred percent. Well, that might give you a little sign that maybe you need to back off. Maybe you're doing too much, you know? Um, so I think there's, there's nothing, that's nothing necessarily, you know, um, wrong with it. Just got to, you know, it's, 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 it's another way to monitor and progress your own training. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the challenge people, you know, wind themselves up in is so many people are reaching out there. Like they really do care. They really want to perform well in whatever it is that they're doing, whether it's, you know, some game, on the court, uh, you know, on the field, on the mat, or just in the game of life, they do really want to perform. They want to make sure they're doing the right things. And there's so much information out there, right? And it's, there's no shortage of people wanting to sell that information to them in the form of it, whatever, infotainment yeah. or even programming. And I find people, again, let's just go back yeah. to like, what are you choosing and why are you choosing it? Um, and so, you know, I think that's where people get into trouble because they don't have a really strong developed why, uh, and even if they do, they really don't know where to take it from, from there. Like, okay, what's the underlying thing to this? Like, what am I lacking? Like, how do I do, how do I do an assessment? How do I understand like where my strengths and weaknesses are? I get like, I can't run out and run five miles without feeling like I'm going to die. All right. So maybe your endurance, you know, can, can improve, but it's then they're like, they're picking and choosing these programs, maybe based on what looks good who's selling it to them. Uh, That's a tough thing for me to look at as a coach because I think people get themselves, you know, into some not so great situations. And if you're going to make the investment and you're going to spend the time and put the effort and the energy and you really do care that much, um, I find that's a tough one for me to swallow. I'm like, oh man, like, I don't know if that's the right program for you. I'm glad you're doing something, right? And you may be in quote unquote great shape, but that one's... That's a little tough. I'm not really sure that's appropriate for you. Where do you have advice for yeah. people in terms of like where to start or or how to think about that a little bit differently? Yeah, I think one you you, you can never go wrong with the basics. 
there's a reason the basics are the basics because they have worked forever and they will continue to work forever. Um, I think when you're looking at coaching and programming, like who is it coming from? Who is your source? Who are they working with? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if, if the population they're working with and they're showing success to that population and that population is what you associate with and what you're trying to be, that's where you want to go. It's just like, whatever. If you had someone who, I want to be the best pickleball player in my neighborhood, I'm probably not the guy to come from to give you programming for that, right? Find someone who's doing that. Because like I said, it goes back. What job are you trying to go do? Okay, well then do what looks like the job, what will get you ready for the job. And and you got to have a good filter with that, you know? And I think too, it's easy to get caught up, especially with, with, with social media and stuff. Like, you know, you can look at guys, you know, whatever, NFL player, just because, you know, my, my world's always be centered to football. You know, guys standing on Bosu balls and catching hecko sticks with blindfold on and all this wild stuff. But it's like, and people are like, oh, that's how that guy got ready to go be who he is. No, that's just what was chosen to be posted. That guy's mastered the basics for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And what they posted might be the five minutes of stuff he did that's just interesting and keeps him engaged because that guy's been squatting and cleaning and sprinting for his entire competitive life. And like, that's not what's interesting to post, right? So you're going to post maybe some of the fluff stuff, some of the interesting stuff, some of the out there, out there things. And I think a lot of people will see that and they just think, oh, that's the foundation. That's the how that's, that's what got him there. No, it's the other 95% of stuff that was boring and not sexy that didn't get posted is probably what got them there in the first place. And I think most people too also make the mistake of thinking they're way more advanced than they really are, mm. which is why you got to start with the basics and they're going to work. And when you get to the point where the basics no longer work, which shit, I'm 45, I'm still not there either. Mm. You know, um, that's when you can start to branch out into some of the other stuff that keeps you engaged. Um, but I think it just, it's all, it, it, I think the source is the most important thing. You know, is that coach working with people like you that are achieving at a high level of things you would like to achieve at a high level? at? Okay. Well, if those populations match up and that might be the coach for you, if they're doing something completely different, you just like what they post, you like their motivation, their personality, but you're talking about two different worlds. That's probably not going to be the best fit for you. Yeah, I see it. Uh, like, I think you, I mean, you sort of articulated that at the beginning, like you prepared way more to play on the field than you actually took snaps or took plays on the field. And so I think a lot of people, and the reason I say that and bring that up is because this is what you spent the majority of your time doing. And then obviously you've had a long career over 20 years doing this. Um, and you are working with the elite of the elite at the level that you're working with them at. And you know, I think there's a big difference between what you just said and what people see as like the pro athlete who's selling them programming, right? Like not the guy who spent the years training the pro athlete to be the pro athlete, right? Uh, that he was by helping him express his talents and his, and his skills and his genetic potential and all those other things. But they're buying it from the guy that looks good, that maybe plays the game currently or played the game very recent, you know, in a very recent time. Uh, that's a challenge, I think, across the the consumer uh, side of things when it comes to purchasing training programs. And and look, that's not to say those those people didn't have tremendous success or what you know that, that there's some good in in what it is that they're they're producing. But I think when you talk to coaches and you really start to get down uh, to the nitty gritty on things. They all, all the good ones, all the ones that have 20 years in the business and successful careers at that, um, are, are saying the same things that you're saying right now. And I know that can be really tough for people again in the age of age, uh, instant, you know, gratification and social media and whatever else. But this is the message that I hope to get more of out there. And so the, the, the follow-up question to this is for the parents, 
particularly with the kids. And you're a guy that sees where a lot of parents dream alongside their kids as they're dreaming of getting to, right? Which is, look, if you go to Florida State, there's a there's a good chance you could have a shot at the NFL. However, the percentage is still very, very small. But my point of this is, is like they, they're, they're looking at that as like, that is the, the next achievable goal. And they're purchasing or buying into something that they think gives them an edge up or a leg up to getting there. What advice do you have for the parents out there of young athletes in terms of their training programs and what they do to help their their kids advance? Yeah. you know, along along the way. Yeah, I, I think with the, with the kids stuff and the youth training, it goes back to like it it better look like basic fundamental athletic movements, right? Teaching kids to run properly, teaching kids to jump and land properly, and like. Once again, it doesn't need to be fancy. And like, if it's coming from someone, like someone, like I said, you gotta look at the source, right? Like there are super freaks out there. that were ultra successful in spite of what they did training wise. Mm-hmm. And like for, for a lot, for a lot of people, and I, I must say us, but trust me, I'm not one of those people, but for, for a lot of us, like, it's really hard to admit that maybe you were just born on third base. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like God gave you, God gave you every gift and all you had to do was just go act it out. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you have people who that's not the case and they had to have to work and grind and develop to ever even try to achieve that point. But that same person who's born third base wants to think and wants to feel that like, no, I did this through my hard work. I did this through my training. I did this through my lifestyle, through my diet. But we know damn well, there's some guys out there, some athletes out there, like they were able to achieve what they achieved, whether it be championships or gold medals in spite of what they did simply because of who they were. Mm-hmm. And some and lots of lots of times those are the same people who are gonna sell programming and do what I did because look what I got doing what I did. Well what you got was some pretty incredible genetics from choosing the two perfect parents to breed this freak who was able to do the things you could do. Mm-hmm. And trust me, that's awesome. And I'm by no means not not jealous of that, right? But like <laughs> sometimes you gotta look like look, you know, you might need to look at the person who overachieved for what they were given. Because there's probably, in that case, it probably was more related to their mindset, was more related to their training, to their work, because they didn't have all those gifts to go achieve the great things that they achieved. Um, you know, and we, you know, and you, you, you see that all the time. And, you know, and that kind of addressed that part of it. But getting back to the kids stuff, and kids stuff's got to be basic. You got to yeah. teach them to be, you know, develop relative strength, be able to control and coordinate their own body. You know, it's not about with those kids, like, let's get them lifting. Let's get a barbell in their hands, man. There's, there's a lot of stuff they got to do before that point. Now, if they've done that stuff at a young age, they can progress that barbell at a younger age because they are proficient in all the other things. Then cool. You can do that. It's, it's a very individualized right. deal. You know, you get some kids who are 12 years old that have beautiful power clean form that can clean. They can kind of start progressing the clean. You got some athletes who are 20 that still can't progress a clean like that because they've just never been exposed to it. And so it, it's got to, it's got to be individual. Like what does that athlete, what is it? What does that athlete need at that age? You know, and most young kids, if they haven't been exposed to stuff, can they just can their body just throw body weight, go through a squat pattern? Can they do a lunge? Can they jump? Can they land? Can they sprint? And if you can get those things better, you're building relative strengths and building athletic abilities that can then trans transition into whatever that sport is. And you know, you'll see it every every you know, you get so many parents who want their kid to specialize in a sport at such a young age. But like the thing is, trains general. Right, it, mm-hmm. the same basic, you know, strength and power and coordination and explosiveness and all those things, like that's going to apply to any sport, right? And especially the younger they are, the more general it needs to be. 
And so if you, if you got if you have young kids that are going and they're, they're in a really sports specific program, man, they're probably missing a lot of the bases that it takes to actually develop to what they are aspiring to go be. Yeah, I, I think, and just because they can do it doesn't mean they should be doing it. I mean, strapping a parachute to a six-year-old, you know, who can't control his own body weight up and down, or doesn't know how to fall down and land and get back up. I mean, that it, it, again, it look it might look sexy, and the kid might think it looks cool or whatever because he saw it on YouTube and he saw his favorite favorite athlete training like that. It, but so refreshing to hear you say. And again, I didn't expect you to say, I didn't expect yeah. you to say anything different than that. I think what I wanted, to, what I wanted to hear is what you said so that, you know, other parents hear this and that, you know, that it, it's, it's, it's the same for the kids as it is for the adults. It, it's all based and rooted in fundamentals. And I think there's another piece to this. And that is, is like for the kids, don't forget, it should be fun for them. I mean, this is this is a time in their life where it should be fun. Now, this is a great time to teach work ethic. It's a great time to teach intestinal fortitude and some character builders along the way. Like I, I again, I wouldn't be here in my life with, without some coaches that helped me do that. But yeah, from a fundamentals perspective, I think people can obviously very, very easily get lost in that. And so I think just wrapping it back up to, to hey, look at who is giving your, you your, your kid, this, this instruction, who are they, where are they getting their information from? And lastly, how is it being delivered? I think one of the things I see is, you know, you, you have a very tough job, but you're in, in the sense that you have a lot of moving pieces. There are a lot of, you know, a lot of individuals, there's a lot of positions, there's a lot of things, right. And you, you have to manage this group and you have a whole team around you in order to, to manage that. A lot of times when you go into these situations, particularly for the kids and for adults for that matter, what you have is a person that's trying to be really efficient with their time and packs 20 kids into a class. Well, that's 20 individuals with 20 different skill levels, with 20 different levels of, of ability, endurance, strength, all coordination, all of those things. And you know, even if they're all the same age, same height, whatever else, those are all different kids and not every kid should be doing the same thing. Uh, and so, you know, look at the value of what you're getting for what you're paying. And that's, uh, that, that, that ends up getting a little bit skewed too. I, you know, if you walk into your, your strength and conditioning room, people are, again, there's different skill levels, but we're talking about a more mature kid. But like you said, you got a 20 year old that still can't really clean very well. Well, that, that kid needs a different training program today than the 20 year old that's standing next to him who cleans really well, plays the same position. Right. I mean, we're, we're doing two different things to, to accomplish similar goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the, one of the biggest mistakes people make, I, like, like two things, one, one for here and one for the kids, for, for all those parents that want their kids to whatever I want, the, I want my kid to play major league baseball someday. And it's like, let them fall in love with it first. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I look at like training, like, do I want that to be a huge part of my son's life? Trust me. Of course I do. I, I'm not going to make him fall in love with it. If I force it down his throat. You know, so like when I, you know, I usually try to save at least one session a week to go train at home in the garage. And when, when my son was younger, when dad's in the garage training, he wanted to go nowhere near it. You know, it's loud. There's a lot of stuff going on. I'm staying away. And, you know, then it kind of became like he'd poke his head out there and kind of just see what's going on. And then it kind of became like, well, I'll come hang out while dad trains. And then it became like, hey, what can I do today? Okay, well, let's do this and we'll do that. You know, just some real basic stuff. And the next time, if he doesn't want to do it, that's fine. But like, as long as he keeps coming back and like, I let him kind of choose his level of involvement. Cause I think if you can plant the seed like that, you had a better chance of falling in love with it, make it part of your life. Whether that be a sport or that be training, whether that be whatever it may be. Right. 
And then also, I think like on our end of stuff, you know, you know, even though we're at Florida State, we're trained Division One athletes and guys that you know have have NFL hopes and dreams. <clears throat> like, you can't ever make the mistake of thinking that these guys are all like these physical freaks that are capable of this wild stuff, right? What I have is I have a group of really, really guys who are very talented at the game of football because football is a skill. Physical traits can enhance how well you can execute that skill, but it's still a skill. Right. And that's what we'll go back to like all of a sudden my guys who are some of our best players or potentially the guys will become some of our best players who might be some of the worst lifters we have who are not strong yet, who are not familiar with it yet. And like I said, that's my job comes in, in to be able to build those quality and close those gaps because ultimately that'll make that guy better. But I think one of the biggest from the outside misconceptions people have is like, oh, every I bet every guy benches four oh five. I bet I'm like, no, no, it's it's not it, it's not like that. You know what I mean? We have guys who are very, very novice lifters. And I think that's why, like, if someone came in, they watched what we do in a lot of our programming, they'd be shocked at how basic it is. At the same time, though, I know for those guys, that's what those guys right. need. Right. Now, do we have guys on the other end of it? Yeah, of course we do. We have some guys who are absolute super freaks, right? And you got to do some different things with those guys to be able to allow them to develop and express those, those, those qualities. But more often than not, I think most of your guys, especially in college athletics, they're really, really good and really talented at their sport. That doesn't mean they're equally as adept at training, and so that's what makes our that's what makes our job fun because you get this kid with all this talent. Hey, can, you know, how much more body armor can we put on this guy? Can we get him more powerful? Can we get him stronger? Make those qualities he's already has even better. Um, and so like that, I think that's one of the biggest kind of like like where the, the, the dots don't always line up for people that look in from the outside of what they assume the inside looks like. Uh, you nailed it. I think, you know, again, in the sort of the genres I play in, whether it be human performance in the in the shooting game or, or whatever else, what you just said right there, I think is the biggest thing. Like, um, you know, this guy, you're looking at this guy and he seems uber talented and he shoots really well. Um, but his physical ability and his physical ability just isn't very good. You know, at the end of the day, what if, what if we, we applied some human performance, you know, uh, principles and application to help him be a little bit better mover as a human, what would that do for a shooting ability? Uh, and vice yep. versa, you know, can you take a really good mover, right? A really great athlete and turn them into a great shooter? What, and, and where can we apply certain things there in order to make them better at both and bridge that gap? And really that's the art, uh, but also the science and collecting a little data at times, examining things, assessing things from a movement perspective, not just a numbers perspective. Um, and within there, you can dig down into all the little niches but at the end of the day like can you push can you pull can you squat can you lunge can you move laterally can you rotate can you decelerate can you accelerate you know all of those things uh are are fundamental to becoming you know a better athlete at in, in at whatever level uh and I, I, I love what you said there is that what most people would walk into the training room they'd probably go oh that that looks really like basic that's a those these this is a very basic program yeah it probably is but the level of thought that goes into that programming isn't basic right it's it's uh it's well honed right. over years and years and years and that's what i respect about what you're doing out there and and i mean it, pay, it, it shows i mean you guys got uh you guys got a fantastic team year after year after year what's next for you man like i mean what do you do do you do you ride this train until you die until you completely like your voice is completely full of that uh that strength conditioning coach gravel and that hair is completely gray and that beard grows down to your belly button or whatever else and you ride off into the sunset or what happens man <laughs> yeah you know i don't know man um 
uh, like, you know, it's, it's a lot of time invested in it. And, you know, this is still my passion. I'm still super fired up about it, getting out of bed in the morning and still have so much to pour into these kids. And like, I don't really have a, a timeline on it. You know what I mean? Um, I, I'm going to try to be as successful as I can, as long as I can. And when I get to the point where I don't think I'd be that successful, then it's probably time to figure out what the, what that next chapter is going to be. Um, but for right now, like my next thing I'm going to do is get on a plane and go to Boston tomorrow and try to win a football game. Yeah, man. Well, look, I, I mean, that, uh, that sounds like the, the, uh, the voice and the reason of a true competitor. Uh, and I appreciate you. And I'm sure the guys out there at Florida state, uh, maybe they don't appreciate you all the time. Cause <laughs> I can't imagine, uh, cause I have seen some stuff and I have heard some stuff, uh, you know, about uh, what goes on in that training room out there. But I do what I do really appreciate. What I appreciate is uh, is the time that you spent with 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 me and us today, and, and sort of the things you brought to the table. Um, and I hope that this is kind of like the first of maybe many conversations in the future uh, about about things, not just coaching, but getting into some of that art and that science and and, and application of stuff. If if people want to like find out a little bit more about what you're doing, or I, you know, I don't know, at Florida State maybe offers youth programs during the summer and the off times and things where you may get involved or you do any speaking or anything like that. What can you tell us about that or where can you direct people? Um, you know, so social media wise, um, I'm just at coach storms on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, the Instagram is mostly just stuff from my training, my life. Um, not a whole lot of work stuff on there. Um, and then my, the, the, twi- the Twitter, I'm not quite, I'm not quite as active on that. It's still a good way to reach out and contact me and stuff with questions and whatnot. Um, that's a little more work-based, very little of myself on that one. Um, you know, obviously we got, you know, all of our youth camps and high school camps and stuff throughout the summers across all the sports here. Um, and then, you know, speaking wise, like I try to get out and speak when I can, when it fits the schedule, it's not always easy to do. Oftentimes those opportunities come up and a few times I do have downtime. And when those times come, typically my family, my family's gonna be the priority. Um, mm-hmm. but I have tried the last you know year or two to try to get out and speak and share a little bit more with, with out there about, you know, what we're doing here. And it's a great opportunity for me to, you know, educate myself and engage in some questions and conversations I wouldn't normally get to have. So I try to do that, try to do that when I can, um, don't know what's coming up next for that during the season. Obviously, I probably won't be doing any of that. But, uh, right. you know, as we hit the offseason, I'll probably look for a couple opportunities to get out there and share as much as I can. Well, like I said, man, I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you sharing today. And uh, uh, I'm sorry I couldn't get to Florida to do this and we had to do this this way. Uh, it's not the way I like doing it, but I'll take I'll take uh, Coach Storms however I can get him. Um, so, look, man, best of luck uh, on that uh, on this upcoming road trip. Or is it home or away? No uh, way, away. Yeah, so get on that plane, man, and and uh, and stay safe, travel safe, and and best of luck to you uh, as you go down the road, man. Thanks again. No, I appreciate. It. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to next time. Right on, man. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Iron Sights. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can support our mission by hitting the subscribe button, leaving a review, and sharing the podcast with a friend. I'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>